It's faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. He's saying, if you only believe, but never do anything about what you believe, you might as well not believe in the first place. If you don't use your faith for all practical purposes, it's worthless. It won't do you one single bit of good. You you can be in complete agreement with God about absolutely everything, but if you don't do something about what you believe, there is no practical benefit for it to you. Simply believing the right stuff won't help your marriage, won't help your parenting, won't help you at work or at college, won't help you in your exams, won't help you financially. If you don't act on what you believe, it's useless, it's meaningless, it's dead. In other words then, the problem that James is addressing through this letter isn't so much with people who are believing the wrong stuff, the problem is people who believe all the right stuff but are just not acting on it. You know something? Many of us here today, we've sat in church meetings pretty much like this one, and we've been taught and taught and taught and taught, maybe for years. We we know an awful lot. Many of us have even moved to the point where we now believe some things we didn't used to believe. But we're not doing anything about it. And so consequently, there's not a whole lot of change to our lives. In fact, maybe some of you stopped going to church for a while because it wasn't making any practical difference to your life. How many meetings you went to, how many sermons you sat through, you still had the same problems when you got home. I don't know, perhaps you concluded that rather than being miserable in church, you might as well be miserable at the beach or miserable whilst traipsing around the shops on a Sunday morning. And so you kind of drifted away from the church. Or perhaps you were dragged along to meetings like this one by your parents when you were younger and they'd argue together in the car all the way there and all the way back and through the rest of the next week. It's like for a couple of hours every Sunday they'd put on their best Sunday smiles and pretend to the outside world that everything was going swimmingly well but for the rest of the week they'd completely ignore everything they'd been taught. And their hypocrisy perhaps led you to resolve that when you were old enough to make a decision for yourself, you didn't want anything to do with it. I mean, there must be something wrong with God, or with the church, or with Christianity. But James would go, no, 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 no. no. That's not the case at all. It's believing without doing that's the problem. I want us to pick up what James says in the first chapter of this letter, starting off, in verse 19. James chapter 1, verse 19. James says this, My dear brothers, my dear sisters, take note of this. This is James' way of saying, this is really important. I don't want you to miss this. See, it's back in the Bible. I'm merely following the example of James. Take note of this. This is really important. Don't miss it. In fact, this next verse, some of you just need to meditate on this and ignore the rest of the sermon. I don't say that often, but in this case, for some of you, this is the case. This single thing will transform your relationships right here. James says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. 
that would transform some of your homes, wouldn't it? See, this is one of those doing things. If you would just do that, it would make a huge difference to your life. I mean, just think how different some of your relationships would be right now if looking back you had been slower to speak. If you had engaged brain before blurting stuff out, think how much better things would be right now. And what if you'd taken the time to listen to others before racing off and just doing your own thing? I mean, think of all the mistakes you could have avoided. Got to admit it, this is great advice from James. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. But James doesn't leave it there. He moves on. He goes further. He says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now again, I guess a whole lot of us know that that's the case. We know that the outcome of our anger isn't anything good. No one ever said, we had a whole load of problems in our marriage, but then my husband started getting really angry, and now things are just so much better. Anger never accomplishes anything positive, whether it's the quick outburst kind of anger or that deep seething kind of anger, anger will wreck your relationships. It's like anger has the power to take you out. It's one of those weapons of mass destruction that will destroy you from the inside out. And so James is being intensely practical here. He's saying, if you want your life to turn out well, here's what you've got to do. Watch what comes out of your mouth, listen to others, and cut out the anger. And then he takes us behind the scenes to show us why this makes such a difference. Verse 21, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Or as most translations put it, which can save your soul. It's like James is saying, I just want you to take a a deep look inside yourself. I want you to remove all of that clutter, all that junk, all that mess that's making your life so miserable. Why don't you call it what it is? It's filth, moral filth, and it just needs to be cleaned out. Do that, and you can start behaving differently. You can stop making so many bad choices. Look, I'm pleading with you, James says. Why don't you just start doing life the way God has asked you to do it? And the way you do that is to humbly accept what God says in his word. Just say, okay, God, I really do believe that your way is better. And when you humbly accept the word that's been planted in you, James says it can save you. It can save your soul. It can save your relationships. It can free you. It can heal you. It can guide you. It's as though James is saying, all of you who are believers, all of you have got some word or some truth of God that has been placed, that has been planted inside you. Might be through reading the Bible. Might be through listening to talks like this one. Might be through reading books or chatting with other believers, maybe in a life group context. But we've all got at least a little bit of truth inside us. And what James says is this. In order for your life to be impacted, 
You need to accept, you need to own up to what God has placed in you, and then you need to start living it out day by day. You, You mustn't think that you're done with the Word of God the moment you become a Christian. That word saved me back in the beginning, now I can forget all about it. No, that word has got to become a permanent, inseparable part of your life in an ongoing way. In the words of one Bible commentator, a guy with a surname called Moo, which is great, just having it on your bookshelf, Moo, it appeals to me. This is what Moo says. Christians who have truly been born again demonstrate that the word has transformed them by their humble acceptance of that word as their authority and their guide for life. That's what James is saying here. Humbly accept the word of God as your authority for all of life. Why? Because it's the best way to live. And he has to make this point because, sadly, there there are some things that we know we need to acknowledge as true and we're refusing to acknowledge them. That there are some truths that we need to face and say, God, you're right. But for whatever reason, we're still refusing to do that. And James says, consequently, because you're resisting the truth that is in you, that, that God has placed in you, you're paying a high price. Let's be honest. I guess many of us in this room are having some argument with God about something. I know what the Bible says about, but. I know you're probably right, but. I know I should be doing this, but. We all have at least one of these buts going on. And on one hand, we kind of keep God at bay with our, yeah, but. Yeah, but. And over here, we're going... God, please help me. God, please change me. God, please sort this out for me. This problem, break in and do something. And James goes, whoa, hold on a moment. The changes you want to see at the level of your soul, with your peace, with your contentment, with your ability to deal with your temper, with your ability to deal with the circumstances around you. He says, it is all tied in with your willingness to say to God, God, I'm willing to accept and believe what I know to be true. I'm willing to receive the word that you've placed, you've planted inside me, and I'm willing to start living it out in my day-to-day life. And James says, when you do that, it will result in the salvation or the preservation or the healing of, of your soul. Not someday in the future when you die, but right here, right now, in this life. Now there's a medical analogy that maybe helps cast a little more light on this verse. You know know when they do an organ transplant? I don't know, they replace a liver or a kidney or a heart or something like that. Well, when the doctor finishes the surgery, do you know what happens next? It's not going to get gory or gruesome, I promise. Largely because if it gets any more gory or gruesome than this, I will faint, and that's not going to happen. So, for those who are a little squeamish, we're not going to go into massive detail here. What do they do after they've finished the surgery? This is what they do. They wait. And they wait to see if the body will accept or receive the new organ. Now, the organ's in there. It's all hooked up and tied together and stuck in and stuff, or whatever they do. But there's always the question of whether the body will receive the organ. 
Will the body use the organ the way the organ was designed to be used? Will the body apply itself and receive the organ as though it was part of the body? Or as happens in some cases, will it reject the organ? The organ's there, it's all plugged in and ready to go, but the body effectively says, I'm not going to use it. I'm going to function as though it wasn't even there. Or I'm going to use part of it, but not all of it. James says, that's what happens to many of us who are Christians. He says, God has planted, God has placed in you certain amounts of truth. But there's a tendency on our part sometimes not to use it. Not to allow it to have its full effect. In a sense, we reject the truth. It's in us, but we don't use it. We don't allow it to have its full effect. And James says, as a result, you're missing out. You're missing out. On one hand, you want God to bring about change in your life and the situations that you're facing. But on the other hand, you have this ongoing argument with God. And the means by which God is going to save you in the midst of circumstances right here on earth is going to happen not by arguing with him over what's true, but he says you've got to come to the place where you put down your defenses and stop trying to be so clever, stop trying to make out you're a special case or an exception to the rule. I don't know, you've never met my husband or my wife. You don't know my parents or my kids. Yeah, but the people I work with, they won't understand. Yeah, but that's a lot of money. And all the things we kind of throw out at God as excuses. And James goes, hold on a moment. You've got to lay all of that down. You need to receive and accept the word of God that's been placed in you that's able to save, preserve, and heal your soul on a day-to-day basis. Now, the reason I believe all of this so passionately is because I'm talking to a group of people who could come up here to the front and one after the other share something of their own story. I came to church. I heard all this stuff. Maybe I argued with God about it for a while, but I remember the day when I finally decided I wouldn't argue with God anymore. And you'd say, that was the beginning, that was the start of unbelievable change on the outside, relationally, and on the inside, on the level of your soul. Different ones of you, you, you'd put it slightly differently. It's like, I found peace for the very first time. I'm not controlled by my jealousy and my anger anymore. I'm, I'm more content with how I look. I, I, I'm so concerned with, or I'm not so concerned with how other people view me. But life's still really tough at times. But it's like I have this inner joy that won't go away. And James would say, of course. Because when we receive the implanted word... God uses it to bring salvation, to bring healing, to bring preservation of our soul. But just in case you're not convinced, James goes on, he he gives us another illustration. Verse 22, this is the, the prelude to it. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You see, he knows what we're like. We think there is some religious or spiritual value to simply coming along to a meeting like this, sitting there, hearing, maybe taking notes, receiving the message. He's saying, you need to understand, if this is going to have the desired effect at the soul level, 
You've actually got to go away and do something about this stuff. Don't deceive yourselves into thinking that since you've showed up, maybe for eight Sundays in a row, maybe you've heard all the messages, maybe you've downloaded them off the internet and listened to them again. Don't deceive yourselves into thinking that somehow you can walk out and automatically be changed. You've got to go the whole way with all of this and actually apply it. Actually start working it out. So be pleased with us. Don't deceive yourselves. Or literally, you have reckoned wrongly. It's a mathematical term. He says, you've added up all the numbers and have come up with the wrong conclusion. It's like there is an error in your calculation. If you think that just by hearing it, there'll be wholesale transformation in your life, then you have reckoned wrongly. You've deceived yourselves. Then here comes the illustration. Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, just to help you out here, um, I've brought a mirror with me. In fact, it's not going to help you at all because you can see me already. It's only me and it's not going to help me looking at myself because increasingly these days, looking at myself in the mirror is not a great thing. It's one of my least favorite activities as I grow older because when I look in the mirror, I can see myself for who I really am, not the kind of picture of myself that I had kind of 10 years ago, who I really am today. Sadly, this isn't one of those slimming mirrors. You, you know the sort you get in kind of shops in the changing rooms when you try on an outfit and say, wow, this makes me look really slim. It's because it's a slimming mirror. And when you get home and it's completely different, now it's just a, a big fraud. This isn't one of those distorted mirrors either that kind of does funny things to your body. I get a pretty accurate reflection from this thing of who I am or what I look like. So as I look at this thing, I've got a spot just there. I've got kind of slightly graying hair here, which is better than no hair at all up here. Uh, still got some of my breakfast in between my teeth, which you probably didn't want to know about. Kind of got strange kind of nasal hair things going on. And you ever had one of those kind of out of control eyebrows? Well, that's kind of going on as well. In fact, I've got a theory. I'm going to try it out on you. I don't know whether you've thought about this, but in my experience, I, I, for a while I thought my hair was falling out, but I don't think hair actually falls out. Uh, I've kind of observed it's like it grows in and comes out in other places. I mean, it just does. I mean, it, it starts coming out of your ears, have your back as well. What's that all about? I mean, or have your nose or have your eyebrows. Maybe some of you are thinking what to do after university, wondering about kind of further research. Research this. I mean, we could be on to something here. I mean, this could be kind of major study, kind of breakthrough in terms of what happens to your hair. Now, would it be something for me to, to look in this mirror and see who I am, what I look like, some kind of balding middle-aged guy needing to lose a stone or two? I've got this stuff going on in my eyebrows and whatever. And immediately walk away and go, man, I look like Brad Pitt. I mean, <laughs> you're not supposed to laugh that much. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but not that funny. Uh, I know it'd just be ridiculous, wouldn't it? I mean, none of us would be so stupid as to do that. Yeah, that's what a lot of us do when it comes to God's Word. I mean, it's like a mirror. And I want to tell you, it gives a really accurate reflection. There is no distortion about who we are when we look into the truth of God. So to walk away after we hear God's truth, hear God's word, and just forget what we heard, 
is kind of crazy. I mean, we'd never do that physically, would we? Uh, and, and yet, you know something? Our physical appearance has very little to do with the state of our souls. I mean, not many of us can look back and say, my problems all started because of the way I looked. There are a few of us who might be able to do that, but not many of us. Our greatest regrets don't tend to hinge on the fact that one morning we got up and ignored what we saw in the mirror, and that's when it all started going wrong for us. And yet, isn't it true that most of us, not all of us looking around, but most of us spend way more time studying ourselves in the mirror and rectifying what we see than we do studying God's Word and acting on that. In fact, I know exactly how long some of you stared in the mirror this morning. Some of you stared in the mirror as long as it took, as long as it took to to get stuff right. Until you felt finally you were presentable, you wouldn't budge. Are you coming yet? Yeah, I'm on my way. Ten minutes, twenty minutes later, three changes of clothes later, you're still glued to the spot in front of the mirror. In fact, some of you use multiple mirrors. Even as you were getting into the car or walking out of the house and looking at your reflection in the windows of your house, just still kind of straightening things up and, and getting things sorted. Why? Because you wanted to make sure you were physically presentable. Here's the point. You don't just look in the mirror to get a picture of what you look like. You do something about it. It's like we are doers when it comes to our outward appearance. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, you know something? Spiritually, personally, for us to know what is going on and not do anything about it is just like a person who gets up and sees their hair's a mess or they've got the remains of last night's curry still running down their chin or they've got hair spreading of their ears or their nostrils and they continue on their way regardless. He's saying, look, you're a Christian. You believe. You know enough of God's Word to have some idea of what God would want to do in you, what He wants you to become. You've got a clear enough picture of the character of Christ to know what the goal for your life really has got to be. Now, why in the world would you look and see what needs to change and then straight away forget what kind of person you are? Think about it. Physically, you would never do that. And yet in the areas that have to do with your soul, areas of far greater significance and importance, he says, you're negligent. That's what it's like. If you hear acknowledge it's true, and then refuse to do anything about it. And then James goes on. He gives us another picture, a picture of how we should live. This is what he says in verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Do you know what that word blessed means? I guess it's in a number of songs and we pray it occasionally. It's a slightly old-fashioned word, maybe a little religious. Maybe we don't really grasp what the word is all about. It speaks of well-being and happiness. It means you'll be fulfilled truly. You'll be content. Even if you don't understand everything that's going on, even when things are tough, 
you'll experience the goodness of God right there in the midst of it. Now let's not miss this. If I could guarantee the blessing of God on your life, would you be interested? Now let's put this to the test. I'd like you to put your hand up if you would like God to bless you. Not a trick question. Most people. Oh, everyone. Yeah. Great. But So I, I, I think we're, we're clear on that. We would like God to bless us. Of course we would. I mean, who wouldn't want that? And the good news is, we're told here how to get the blessing of God, the blessing of God that all of you have just said you want. James is very clear on how to live with not just a one-off blessing, but the constant blessing of God. So listen again to what he says. The person who looks intently at God's word and continues to do this and doesn't forget what they've seen, but goes away and does it, they will be blessed. That's the way to blessing. Why should you make God's word your final authority in life? Why should you obey what God says? Why would you play by the rules? Why would you ever place yourself under the authority of God? The reason I do is because genuinely it is the best way to live. I'm telling you, God's way really is the best. It is the only route to receiving blessing from him. So if you want to find the best way to live, if you were serious about putting your hand up saying you want God to bless you, listen to God and do what he says. I mean, it's that simple. So let me ask you then, what is stopping you from putting your life under his authority and doing life his way? I mean, he's better, he's wiser, he's stronger. He's got this incredible view of how things are going to pan out in the future. He's got this insatiable love for you. The bottom line is he knows best. So if we want our lives to turn out well, and of course we'll follow what he says, won't we? So I was thinking about this. I was daydreaming slightly and couldn't get Lego out of my mind. Now, with two boys in the house, there's always a whole lot of Lego going on. Now, I don't know how many of you have looked at Lego recently. It's not a simple thing. I mean, there's Lego for 30 to 35-year-olds now. I mean, it's unbelievable how elaborate Lego gets now. And you know something? Even with the simplest bits of Lego, I've never been able to put it together just by looking at the picture on the box. You know what we do in our family? We set all the pieces out on the floor, make sure they're all there because it's very frustrating getting halfway through and finding there's something missing. So we set them all out and we get the instructions out and then work through them step by step. In fact, just to help you, here's one that I was going to say we did earlier. Actually, all credit goes to Nathan for this. Uh, this is the rogue shadow. I mean, this is very, I mean, you can come and look. Don't touch, but you can come and look at it later. I'll, I'll put it here on the table over here. Pray I don't break it. Let me tell you, we'd never have done this without the careful following of the instructions. Now that is exactly the process that James describes here in this passage. If you want to be blessed by God, you need to take his word, hold it up to your life like a mirror, see what needs to be done, 
and then set about doing it step by step. And you continue with this process through your whole life. And when you get a piece wrong, because we all get pieces wrong from time to time, what you need to do is go back to the instructions, see how it should be done, and put it right before you do anything else. Because what you don't want to do is keep on building when some of the pieces are wrong. Because the further you go, the more you end up having to take apart later. You see... It's not just all about collecting information. It's not just about hearing. It's not jotting down all the instructions Sunday by Sunday. It's about doing. And James says, here's the promise. When you start partnering with God in that whole process, it leads to blessing in your life. It's like God has a part and we have a part. Our part is to get really familiar with what it's supposed to look like and then continue to follow the instructions doing whatever needs to be done when it makes sense well it's really hard when when no one else seems to be doing it when when we wonder what the consequences are going to be we just need to stay focused on the perfect law the imperfect instructions of god that bring freedom to us and god's part involves blessing us. James says the man, the woman, the the child who, who listens, who receives, who does, they will be blessed by God in what they do. Isn't that a powerful promise? Some of you, you're wrestling with this, you're struggling with this, maybe you're thinking right now, but what about my health? doesn't feel like I'm being blessed. Or, or what about my bank balance? What about the state of my family life? What about my love life or the lack of a love life? What if it doesn't particularly feel like I am being blessed? Here's what James would say. Maximum peace, maximum happiness, maximum contentment is found regardless of your circumstances within the context of doing what your faith implies that you do. James says you just need to hear it, receive it, and do it. Hear it, receive it, and do it. You just do it. You, you quit arguing with God. You stop trying to rationalise it all. You, you, you don't wait until you can work it all out in your mind. You just do it. And James says that is the way to blessing. Now, if I just reverse this around a bit, the truth of this passage is all too clear. I mean, isn't it true that the parts of your life that you wish you could erase, all those memories you wish you could just rub out, those relationships you wish never happened, isn't it true that most of that could have been avoided in your life if you had simply been a doer of God's word? Isn't it true that you wouldn't have got involved in some relationships, you wouldn't have gone anywhere near some business practices if you had not only been a hearer, but a doer? If you hadn't said, yeah, I know what it says, but. Yeah, I I know it's probably true, but I'm going to do it my way anyway. Isn't it true? We could erase most of the mistakes in our lives if a year, two years, five years, 20 years ago, we'd simply done what God's word teaches. Most of us would be in a much better place today if we'd been more serious about doing what God said to us sometime back in the past. And so here's what God would say to you today. Would you just trust me from this point on? I know it's hard to get out of a relationship. It's hard to stay in a relationship sometimes. 
I know, I know it's hard to go to work and take responsibility for what happened. I know it's hard to apologise. At times, it's even harder to forgive. I, I know it's hard to, to try and put things right. I know it's hard to give. I, I know it's hard to remain faithful. I know it's hard to tell your friends, you can't do that anymore. You, you're not going to that place again. I know it's hard to admit maybe you've been a lousy dad and to decide to put in the effort to change. I know it's hard to carve out the time to read God's word on a regular basis. But I'm telling you, if you will do what your faith implies that you do, you will be blessed. So the question is, would you be willing today to take the next step? Don't know what it is for you. It's going to be different for each one of us, but I hope you'll do it. This passage It's raised a whole load of things. Our speech, our willingness to listen to others, anger, moral filth. Maybe you need to go away and do something about one of those areas. Or maybe it's something that you'll hear over the next few weeks as we continue working our way through the book of James. Because I'm telling you, the challenges are going to keep coming thick and fast. Or maybe, as I've been speaking, God's brought another area to mind. The question is, will you act on it? Because God's words aren't designed to ruin your fun, they're to give you the best in life.